Welcome to NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast featuring tech legend Jake Gunkelman. He's the man who has read well over half a million brain scans and Dr. Marie Swingle, author of iMinds. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Mark your calendars for Friday, April 26, 2024, as Bradley University hosts the 8th Annual Super Brain Summit, presented by the Center for Collaborative Brain Research. This year's topic, Rhythms of Regulation, Polyvagal Perspectives, promises an insightful exploration to polyvagal theory with Deb Dana, LCSW, leading the discussions as the featured speaker. Dana is a celebrated author and clinician, brings her extensive knowledge and practical experience to the forefront. Front. The event will be held at the Hayden Clark Alumni Center's Peplo Pavilion, available both live and online, ensuring accessible participation for all interested. For those looking to register or seeking more information, please contact Gwen at G-H-O-W-A-R-T-E-R at Bradley.edu or by phone at 309-677-3900. Further inquiries about the program can be directed to Dr. Lori Russell Chapin at lar at bradley.edu. Don't miss this enriching opportunity to engage with the latest advancements in brain research and polyvagal practices. Hey, Pete. Jake Uncleman. And myself kicked in here. I've got uh, the the wire uh, to my Bose headset. Uh, uh, ended up with an intermittent in it, so I had to replace them. And these, I you know, I didn't know because the word gaming is in it. They've got these. You know exactly. Those are sweet. Color. <laughs> but it's sweet. got a microphone and it's all wireless and yeah. it works. So you're a gamer. Ketamine, uh, the Vatican. Hey. Uh, what? Uh... <laughs> Anything strike huh? fancy there? <laughs> How many buttons do you want to push today? <laughs> you did a good job with what you sent out. <laughs> From, oh, I don't know. Why don't we do Elmo and ketamine? That seems to match quite well with dancing puppets. <laughs> well, it, this is what's going on around the world. It's a, right so the, 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 as the article said, it is the Wild West. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. It's an off-label use, and there's no standard of practice. So you find the practitioner that you find, and it doesn't necessarily mean you know what you're looking for. You know, you're looking for ketamine. Well, ketamine nasal, ketamine IV infusion. Um, Are you talking about somebody who's just going to, toss a blanket over you and let you be in a room or are you talking about somebody who's going to design a therapeutic session with what kind of music uh, what what are the uh, background concepts that we're uh, going to 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 kind of infuse your se- your session with um uh, uh, almost like a hypnotic script uh, that can be applied, and and those can have a fabulously powerful effect. Um, the ketamine itself has a pharmacological effect, but in the right environment, it can end up being a more profound effect. And there also are 
uh, contraindications. Um, the, the study done by Ron Swatsina that looked at medication failure in psychiatry uh, at a few thousand people, uh, uh, there were hundreds of them that had been referred specifically because other psychiatrists couldn't figure out their meds. So they were referred in for medication failure. We looked at the intake EEGs on them, did cluster analysis to look at the kinds of EEG patterns that were present in people that you couldn't medicate. Epileptiform content was the number one finding. It's, these are psych patients. They're not, this is not a neurology practice treating epilepsy. So when somebody comes in with epileptiform content, you don't, don't know it's there, what are you going to give them? Probably something that's not going to help or make it worse, perhaps. You know, so medication failure, that predicts it. Beta spindles also, that was a number two, uh, spindling excess beta, uh, greater than 20 microvolts. And Niedermeyer de declares that outside normal limits. And so would I. Uh, and, and that could predict negative medication response. You know, you're... Um, and after that, it was a low voltage, slow EG, which is a metabolic or toxic effect, and then focal findings, which is probably more of an organic lesion of some sort, not a psych uh, patient. So um, uh, the, the two at the beginning of that list, epileptiform content and beta spindles, also predict odd outcomes with ketamine. It, it, the, the the probability of having the K-hole experience, and it probably is just as bad as it sounds. Um, uh, I, I think you know, I've been called that before, Jay. What is a K-hole? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, it's a it, it's a negative, uh, a, a very negative uh, um, uh, 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 psychiatric uh, outcome for a ketamine session. But they used to call a really bad trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, and you know, it's, you, you're not jumping off roofs like old LSD lore. But I mean, is but... that like I, I've heard it in our clinic in the next office over people moaning and all that type is that a k-hole or is it... not necessarily okay. you know right. yeah there there are um there like are really expressions loud. of emotion that can happen during it that are uh, uh not part of necessarily a bad trip but perhaps a breakthrough so but the the overall experience being a very negative experience that leaves you um uh, uh off uh, but, you know, um, uh, ketamine ends up having a dramatic increase in uh, a, a high frequency up into the 20s in, a, in the cortex, but it's not, um, it's not in the same layer level as, as gamma is produced, but it's a similar high frequency wave. And it also dramatically increases slow activity temporarily. And if you have slow rhythmic activity frontally in the theta band in excess, uh, you're more likely to end up having a dramatic positive experience with ketamine. It drives that theta way, way, way up during session and it collapses it after the session is done. So what you come in with uh, uh, excess theta, it goes crazy high during the session, but it, it, it collapses uh, afterwards is normalized and that theta at the frontal midline 
uh, uh, likely is a reward deficiency uh, marker. So anyway, the uh, ketamine is still the Wild West. You've, uh, as buyer beware, um, and uh, it isn't like uh, you can go on uh, uh, psychology today and flip through the list of providers. It's um, uh, they they don't try to stick out um, in regulatory uh, realms. Um, and uh, you know, just jump in here, Jay, and and you know, my greatest concern, and we really have to put this on the table, is who is seeking out ketamine treatment. Okay, the just the you know, curious, hey, I want to try this, I've heard it cool. But the majority of individuals are really, really from some form of chronic um, uh, depression, um, uh, primarily. Um, and, you know, it's an extremely vulnerable population. Um, so in terms of like, how does somebody do their due diligence uh, in this field, uh, given yeah. that it is so wide, wide west, I think we, we need to address that. And a lot of us really don't recommend it because of that, you know, and until we get that figured out, um, who's doing the good work and, and, and who's swinging yeah. from the hip, as they say. Yeah. And uh, again, doing an, a good one-on-one -on -one interview with the practice to find out, yeah, uh, again, are, are they simply going to toss a weighted blanket over you and let you ride it out? Or are they going to be there um, uh, trying to, you know, guide the experience and uh, select the music that, you know, you've uh, listed and so forth to try and guide the trip? So, um you know, it's, it, there's a wide range of uh, types of practice, and uh, you, you need to uh, uh, upfront uh, find out. You don't find out afterwards um, effectively. You, you need to interview them as to what the what their structure is. How many how many sessions? Uh, how how much does it cost? Um, you know, five six hundred bucks a session. Are you doing six of them? Some people do. Are you doing ten? Some people do. Um, are, are you uh, suggesting booster sessions every couple of weeks afterwards to keep the the depression at bay? I mean, all, all of that ends up being uh, stuff that you need to discuss up front because it's a, you know, it, it's it's not um, pocket change, yeah. you know. So. I want to loop into another one, Pete, if you don't mind. I know we, we kind of were thinking of just talking about the ketamine, but I want to throw in ayahuasca. Um, Jay, when you were talking about how you get this diffuse, slow activity, but it's temporary, one of the things I'm finding, um, and not knowing the full history of the client, it's been really interesting, um, that I've had not just a couple of people, quite a few people um, that have been using ayahuasca therapeutically um, and then have decided to follow up with neurotherapy. And the slow alpha universally throughout the brain and we're talking months and months and months after um any idea why that's sticking around i mean i know marijuana it, it may it have been a self-selection yeah. for why they were going for the ayahuasca as well yeah uh, no no pre it wasn't there it, it, wasn't it may there. be a treatment effect but yeah. that's not the usual expected 
yeah. effect. It may be something odd with uh, what they were doing. But uh, David Stuckey got his PhD um, uh, going down to the Amazon with an old Lexicor um, and having a generator in the village running extension cords out into the jungle where the shamans were doing uh, their ceremonies. And um, when he got back, uh, uh, Frank Eichenhofer was his uh, uh, dissertation chair. And uh, Frank basically said, oh, it's all muscle artifact. <laughs> and poor David, you know, he had gone down to the freaking Amazon, carried this stuff out there, done all his hard work and comes back and, and he's basically told, well, all the stuff you collected is crap, you know, so got to get a whole different PhD now, you know, uh, but he's, he saw that I had written this book about art, e.g. artifacts. So he came to me with the data. He said, just tell me this is crap. I'll leave you alone. You know, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm not worthy even to be here to show you this, you know, the, the uh, groveling uh, uh, to try and get me to see the data. And of course, that's the only silly question I ever get is, Jay, would you like to look at this data? You know, of course I looked at the data. And and he's, he says, it's all muscle. And I said, no, it's not. Uh, this is the highest hypersynchronous gamma I've seen since the Dalai Lama's monks at Davidson's lab. So this is gamma. This is not muscle. Now, there's muscle in some spots, but you can see hypercoherence, and then you see the EMG areas are not part of that coherence. So, yeah, it's fast activity, but it's not all muscle. And uh, so he, um, he said, well, Frank says it's all muscle. I said, well, you know, tell him to look at the coherence and explain how you get hypercoherent muscle. You know, you, you cannot synchronize the muscle spikes. You know, this, it's not going to happen. So synchronizing all these muscle spikes across the brain, forget it. But uh, gamma is a rhythm and it can be, you know, synchronized. So, um, you know, the temporal areas with muscle uh, weren't coherent, but the rest of the brain was hypercoherent. And, and he had to argue that with Frank. And after he told Frank that I told him to argue that, Frank said, okay. <laughs> and uh, he got his PhD off of that. Uh, but it, it's, it's a very, very, very strong gamma effect on, on a fairly acute level. Um, but it does end up having, um, I, you know, I, I don't know if anybody in the crowd here has done LSD, but after the LSD trip, you have kind of a burnout feeling for a while. And after the ayahuasca, there can be a, a, a kind of a burnout feeling, and that ends up having slow content associated with it. So it may be that your uh, few people that you've seen have residual slowed alpha, which is a decreased arousal level. Uh, it's actually more... Which, you know, doing this for anxiety would actually be a positive effect. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's more internal than external in orientation. You know, the, the IE scale, uh, less FEMI was great for having uh, wonderful data about alpha and, and other neuropsychological functions. And 
uh, and uh, the IE scale, internal orientation versus external orientation was, was proportional to the alpha frequency tuning. So, um, you know, if you got really fast alpha, you're probably not really closely in touch with your internal states as, as much as if you have slower alpha. Elmo. <laughs> oh, poor Elmo. Yeah. You know, poor California. Uh, Sorry, Jay. You know, if you go to some places on the internet and you ask people, gee, how are you today? You're going to get a response. Now, where you ask it may get you a different kind of response depending upon where you ask it. Uh, if the place you ask it is full of conspiracy folks, um, you, you may get a whole different uh, how are you today than if you go to uh, a, 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 a yoga camp and, and ask it or something. So uh, when you go to X, they know what the response is. It kind of freaked them out. Uh, it's uh, 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 people having a uh, bummer. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but again, I think there's uh, there's a self-selection uh, to a certain extent uh, that that has a bias. Um, uh, if nothing else, um, it, it's it's absolutely full of people uh, that that um, try to follow what's on X in order to put it on the news. So there's a lot of reporters on there. So. But it's Elmo. I'm going to jump in with a, like a totally different side. Like, I mean, All if right. you look at like one of these extreme talents of good old fashioned Sesame Street, you know, granted, the kids were uh, so young, they couldn't tell fantasy from reality. But all of those puppets were just brilliant at putting their little fuzzy uh, rotted arms around kids and saying, how are you doing? And the kids would really talk, you know, that that show was known for that. So um even you know if you're in therapy good old-fashioned you know talk to the puppet and you'd hear different things um but you know apart from that one thing i think we really really have to acknowledge is as we're in a i would say an epidemic of loneliness now uh, almost globally um anxiety uh just lack of belonging you know and i think this is reflecting it um I think we need to talk about all of this. Everybody is talking about a mental health crisis. I think we're in a cultural crisis and the effect is poor mental health. Um, you know, sure, a little bit too much publicity for the wrong people perhaps, but if it starts a dialogue, all right. You know, and if we, again, I, I keep on looping back the only educational program, actually, no, um, Mr. Rogers was pretty good too, but you know, Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers really, really started to uh, look at the the emotional um, content. Um, you know, really cater to uh, positive emotional exploration in, in in little people. Mark your calendars for Friday, April 26, twenty twenty four, as Bradley University hosts the eighth annual Super Brain Summit, presented by the Center for Collaborative Brain Research. This year's topic: Rhythms of Regulation, Polyvagal Perspectives. Promises an insightful exploration to polyvagal theory with Deb Dana, LCSW, leading the discussions as a featured speaker. Dana is a celebrated author and clinician, brings her extensive knowledge and practical experience to the fore 
forefront. The event will be held at the Hayden Clark Alumni Center's Peplo Pavilion, available both live and online, ensuring accessible participation for all interested. For those looking to register or seeking more information, please contact Gwen at G-H-O-W-A-R-T-E-R at bradley.edu or by phone at 309-677-3900. Further inquiries about the program can be directed to Dr. Lloyd Russell Chapin at LAR at Bradley.edu. Don't miss this enriching opportunity to engage with the latest advancements in brain research and polyvagal practices. Um, and if they can help out the big people, why not? But yeah, too much money involved, Jay. <laughs> and your your icon from your childhood is asking you uh, how you are. Exactly. So. Hey, there's <laughs> my my co uh, co host here is bringing me things to fill with treats, but it's not <laughs> that time for me here. So I'll send him on his way chasing the the Kong. Well, it, part of that article, and I'll include it in here so the viewers and listeners can see what we're talking about. You got Elmo going around asking, how, you know, how you how you feeling, and then of course everybody's saying, "I feel crappy." And then they go into the homeless and the mental health crisis in California. And there's a bill introduced that may be passed. I guess that'd be a good thing, Jay, more money for mental health. Uh, that's the way I run it bad for you. I mean, I don't know how you guys can get taxed anymore in California, but um, if, if they do increase the budget, what, how will they spend it? You think? Poorly. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, government programs have a way of uh, creating uh, positions and overhead um, in, in a way uh, as opposed to uh, getting a lot of direct services. Um, so I, uh, there are a lot of programs for the homeless, but the homeless aren't necessarily all that well served. Um, there, there are locations that are intervening fairly aggressively. Um, uh, taking uh, hotels that aren't uh, well used at this point and um, uh, getting government grants for $10, $20 million to totally redo the hotel into small uh, uh, residential units and have some office space in there for people that help the homeless folks for uh, social services and so forth. So uh, ground level uh, offices and, and uh, uh, housing. Um, so there. There are people that are aggressively intervening, but uh, there's also uh, uh, locations where they're trying to essentially outlaw um, uh, loitering. You, you know, uh, right now in California, unless you can offer them an alternative location, you can't necessarily just shoo them off of uh, a property easily. Uh, and government uh, can't shoo them off of private property, the private property people have to be there to end up uh, having them declare trespassers and have them removed at that point. So it's, it's a very difficult um, uh, issue and it's, uh, it, it shows that the economy has um, not uh, been uh, uh, rolling well for the last four or five years, as you saw the number of homeless just skyrocket. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's funny. This is this is always so delicate. But I, my primary comment is, I think many of us, and in particular uh, politicians, 
um, make some extreme assumptions on the causes of homelessness. Um, it is so varied. Um, I actually, you know, volunteered for, for quite a long time in, you know, Vancouver, downtown east side, which is the worst neighborhood in Canada. You want to see homelessness, I'll show you homelessness. Um, and one of the things that was very, very interesting is a lot of, in, we go housing, 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 but the quote unquote rules of the housing, people actually felt safer on the street. You know, from whether they couldn't couldn't take in their belongings, which, you know, the people working for the um, supposedly for the homeless, you know, said was valueless, but that was all the person possessed. So some of the crises of not being able to keep your things, um, some, you know, they know the rules of the street, they feel safer on the street. And that's just one example. Uh, but if, if I ruled the world, I'd say, go low, go low, 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 low. You, you want to help people, um, you know, in, in adolescence, in, you know, the, it, it should be an issue addressed uh, in, in education, much lower in safety and families, supporting young families. You know, uh, homelessness is, is, is very much an end symptom. So there's my, po there's my political uh, rant. Oh, yeah, I got one for you. Yep. We're, we're talking about homelessness. Are migrants homeless? Because I'm in Illinois, we have Texas shipping people over and dropping them off in Illinois and in the Chicago and Chicago, the Chicago mayor is buying them a train ticket and saying, hey, go pick, go to a suburb of your choice and they're getting dropped off. You know, and there's Political no games again. I mean, you know, the, the, these are these are people. Right. I mean, and what you just spoke about, you just spoke about an entirely different population. How do we expect to deal with these populations or or manage or assist these populations in the same way? I mean, our technically they're just, homeless. So if yeah. you have, you know, these people coming in, you know, eventually the emergency room is going to get flooded. And ER can't handle mental health. Right. Mm -hmm. So then where where does it go? Yeah. Well, again, I mean, one of the things, you know, it probably speaks to the population that I work with. But if you if you help an adolescent in whatever emotional crisis they happen to be in, so they don't leave home, they don't go on the streets, they finish high school, they don't discover those nasty drugs. Right. I mean, that's a huge portion. And then, of course, we're talking about economic, purely economic um, homelessness. You know, the, the, the classic people living in their cars because they can't pay their mortgage. But correct me if I'm wrong. Um, there's not as much of that as I would say the the, the mental health issue. Jay, would you? Or the number of people that are living paycheck to paycheck. And yeah. all it takes is one significant health upset. Yep. Yep. You know, yep. oh, you had COVID and you were on in the ICU for two months and now you're uh, not really well, but you're back out. Um, you, you didn't have a job during that because you weren't working and you were fired and now you're in, and, and you're homeless. You owe two months rent. Yeah. And yeah, you, you're homeless. Um, the, uh, if, if you want to see the causes of bankruptcy, look at the healthcare system. Yeah. You know, the, the diagnosis of cancer is the highest cause of bankruptcy. Well, here, I mean, up in Canada, um, and, you know, we're not as good as we used to be. We're starting to really fail up here. But if you look at most of Europe, 
you don't have those issues. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be political. The U.S., I, one of the things the rest of the world just doesn't understand is why you don't take care of your people um, healthcare-wise. Yeah. Well, we've got a bunch of states that just dropped their Medicaid, uh, you know, huge, you know, was it 29,000 people just lost their health care because of uh, political choice? And it was being paid by the federal government if they allowed the program. And they just cut uh, food aid for kids. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of various political decisions that don't seem to make much humanistic sense. And... Is that that's always a shame. Well, you could say uh, you could pray, but then look at the Vatican article. <laughs> oh, good segue, Pete. Woo-hoo. Yeah. So they talk about suicide. So I. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, you know, care and institutions that are supposed to be caring. I'm 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 glad they're doing things to care more. How's that? <laughs> yeah. Politics, religion. What do we miss? <laughs> well, politics, religion, healthcare, we're we're all we're all in there. No, but I think it's time that, you know, every institution has to pull up its socks a little bit and practice what they preach, no pun intended, right? Um, and it wasn't too long ago that your priest was your mental health uh practitioner. <laughs> you know, your your priest was your everybody. Um, but I, I also really respect um that they're they're looking at boundaries as well, you know. Um pastoral uh counseling has a place but it also definitely doesn't have a place uh we talked before about you know in terms of sexuality there are just uh you know bounds there that after a certain point you're just not qualified to help i would say the same thing also um uh, with with mental health but my gosh if you're there and you're on the floor and you're 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 going to be present uh and you know to to help people find paths to to assist themselves i'm all for it right i mean the u.s again is a very religious country very religious country and we've just finished like a two-year period where everyone was isolated and kids were missing the face-to-face contact with other kids they weren't out playing um you know the uh, physical uh, uh, activities were curtailed, and uh, uh, what a weird experiment! You know, suddenly we've got this uh, crazy negative impact on pretty much the entire uh, uh, population, and uh, the the effect of that on mental health is not positive. I, you know, isolation is used as a form of torture, for goodness sakes. Um, so here we are. Uh, isolating uh, uh, kids from each other, they find uh, um, uh, weirder social contact online. And goodness knows uh, 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 the warnings about predators and whatnot that are online. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, the the one thing that really concerns me is uh, we never bounce back. Um, you know, one would think that somebody in high school 
um, you know, when they return to high school, the problem would be over, so to speak, right? Or or finish high school and starting university. But the loneliness factor uh, of, of youth, I mean, I understand 65-year-old widow lost, you know, their uh, their partner, et cetera, et cetera. You're going through a pretty long-term phase of loneliness, right? Um, but it, it's, it's universal now. It's really universal. But the, the catch is why. Why are people not getting out there again, right? But you know, you can get a chat companion nowadays. Oh, that uh, that AI companion that'll keep you happy and chatter with you. And uh, um, uh, of course, some of them have had to been shut down because they got a little out of control. So, you know, maybe that's not even a great idea. You know, um, don't worry, Jay. Elon Musk has Grok out there. I'm sure you yeah. use that. Stick on Elon Musk. You want to touch that implant, or uh... I don't want to touch that implant. Let's let's be sure the explant that cooties. they took out of the monkeys, and and there were ten monkeys that were euthanized, and he said, well, they were old and sick. Well, they weren't old and sick, or they wouldn't have been there for the research. But so there's these ten dead monkeys that had implants that ended up causing them to be euthanized. Uh, but when they explanted the implants, the Mac monkey is universally contaminated with hep, hepatitis B. So you have a hepatitis B device, and you have to ship that in appropriate, I mean, there's standards for medical waste. You can't toss it into a FedEx pack and ship it. You know, and that's what they did. And you see, Davis severed their relationship with them entirely because of how sloppy and careless uh, uh, they were. And uh, and you know, you can't have that uh, and 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 have a primate lab. Uh, it, you can't have people killing off ten of your primates. So. Um, now they have one person. Now there there have been people that have volunteered, and they have one person that they just um, had their. I, have Have you seen their device, uh, uh, Pete? You can probably put up an image of it. It looks like a weird microscope and a sewing machine, all kind of whipped together, and they drill a hole in your skull, pop through the dura. And then this little sewing machine sticks these threads with a thousand twenty-four electrodes on. They stick these threads into the brain tissue, and you know, I think that's kind of invasive. Last I knew, sticking things into your brain can end up being problematic. Things like mm, bleeding, um, you know. So uh, the the person is apparently recovering. Um, but they're going to put the device uh, uh, in after he kind of recovers from the implant itself. Um, but, uh, you know, there are people that are much more um, advanced in the brain-computer interface world than Elon Musk's group is at this point that put in stents through the vasculature They'll weave through the vasculature and stick in a stent that opens up a blood vessel, like they do to open up a heart blood vessel. That's now an electrode. 
So they, and, and it's not just an electrode, that little stent's got a whole bunch of electrodes. And um, you, there, there are other people that are designing nanoparticles that are uh, little amplifiers and you can inject them and they float up and embed somewhere up in the brain, but they're really, really small. So it's not like you're clogging much. So, uh, but then you can turn them on with ultrasound and then they, they amplify. So you can measure a brain activity with nanobot um, uh, uh, amplifiers. So there, you, you don't necessarily have to have a hole drilled in your head and have destructively implanted wires placed to have brain computer interface. Niels Burbomber. Scientist, right? You know, I'd yeah. say like stick with the cars, but he actually didn't invent that car. He just banked it. A lot of people yeah. forget that. <laughs> our Everybody our field of neurofeedback is the home base for the development of brain computer interface. Uh, BCIA um, uh, spun off out of neurofeedback. And most of the implants that have been done uh, uh, have had to do some feedback training in order to get them fully functional. And uh, um, it, it, it goes back a long ways. Niels Burbomer uh, did ALS um, uh, uh, spell, you know, uh, um, ability to to pick a letter on a on a screen and have it typed, uh, type up type up words and sentences, uh, select a pre selected sentence, speech vocalizing, uh, all of that was done from outside the skull with surface EEG electrodes. You know, now they're trying to get a little more fancy uh, uh, by being in there. You can have higher density, uh, more uh, control surfaces can be controlled. So um, uh, they're, they're uh, hoping uh, to be able to take people that have ALS and cannot move, cannot even blink to say yes or no, and have their brain um, operate um, uh, the computers, uh, environmental controls, things such as that. Um, uh, again, it's uh, it's um, uh, a, a major uh, attempt at uh, rehabilitation for uh, spinal uh, uh, issues and for ALS. Um, uh, um, you can get the person stuck into a robotic uh, a skeleton uh, suit and have them walk. Um, uh, you, uh, th th they can actually reach out and grab stuff with um, robotic assist uh, on their own I mean, arms. The work and, you know, we don't want to knock it. Obviously, the work is magnificent, but, you know, caution, build on the science that is already there. As you said, there are many, many safer ways to do things than just yep. have somebody's head open and throw a sewing machine in. So, you know, Elon Musk yeah. himself said, oh, there are other ways than having to go through the skull. You could come up through the blood vessels. Well, that's what the other groups are doing. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I think the invasive method is um, uh, down the list of a little ways from what would be chosen if you had your druthers, um, uh, inf infection risk and whatnot. I mean, having a hole drilled in your head, yeah, I've I've had brain surgery. I recommend it highly if you really need it, but geez, don't do it casually, you know. Um, 
Yeah. What are you doing this Tuesday afternoon? <laughs> yeah. Jay, Jay Gunkelman and Dr. Marie Swingle, thank you. Okay. <laughs> For... Fun chat, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's see if we get... Let's see how Take off another Thursday one. morning here. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Almost depressed. I'll talk to you all later. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Elmo. <laughs> Bye, guys. The Noodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Mark your calendars for Friday, April 26, 2024, as Bradley University hosts the 8th Annual Super Brain Summit, presented by the Center for Collaborative Brain Research. This year's topic, Rhythms of Regulation, Polyvagal Perspectives, promises an insightful exploration to polyvagal theory with Deb Dana, LCSW, leading the discussions as a featured speaker. Dana is a celebrated author and clinician, brings her extensive knowledge and practical experience to the forefront. The event will be held at the Hayden Clark Alumni Center's Peplo Pavilion, available both live and online, ensuring accessible participation for all interested. For those looking to register or seeking more information, please contact Gwen at G-H-O-W-A-R-T-E-R at Bradley.edu or by phone at 309-677-3900. Further inquiries about the program can be directed to Dr. Lori Russell Chapin at lar at bradley.edu. Don't miss this enriching opportunity to engage with the latest advancements in brain research and polyvagal practices.